Good evening and uh, welcome to our, our Bible study and we're continuing in the book of Job so if you have your Bibles please turn with me to Job chapter 24 we'll start to read at verse 1 Job 24 Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Men move boundary stones they pasture flocks that they have stolen they drive away the orphan's donkey and take the widow's ox in pledge they thrust the needy from the path and force all the poor of the land into hiding like the wild donkeys in the desert the poor go about their labor of foraging for food the wasteland provides food for their children they gather fodder in the fields and glean in the vineyards of the wicked. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold. They are drenched by mountain rains and hug the rocks for lack of shelter. The fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is seized for a debt. Lacking clothes, they go about naked. They carry the sheaves but still go hungry. They crush olives among the terraces. They tread the wine presses, yet sup of thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the soul is the wound and the, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. Then when daylight is gone, the murderer rises and kills the poor and needy. In the night he steals forth like a thief. The eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks no one will see me. And he keeps his face concealed in the dark. Men break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They want nothing to do with the light. For all of them, deep darkness is their morning. They make friends with the terrors of darkness, yet they are foam on the surface of the water. Their portion of the land is cursed, so that no one goes to the vineyards. As heat and drought snatch away the melted snow, so the grave snatches away those who have sinned. The womb forgets them, the worm feasts on them. Evil men are no longer remembered, but are broken like a tree. They prey on the barren and childless women, and to the widows show no kindness. But God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. For a little while they are exalted, and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others, they are cut off like ears of corn. If this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? Well, let's just pray before we look at these words together. Our Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you that we can gather around them and we pray that as we do this, that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might be encouraged by what we read and what we think about and what we pray about this evening. As we come to you, in the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, 
<coughs> excuse me, well, Job 24. We are just over halfway through the book of Job and we can see that as well as the physical pain Job is suffering, mental anguish and spiritual confusion are made worse by the assumptions made by his friends as to why Job is suffering. Now, although Job's faith is under great pressure, we've already seen that, but we've also seen that his faith is holding up. And to help us to understand this, we can borrow some words from Paul that he wrote to the church at Corinth. You can find these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it's verse 8. And Paul here says we, but in this case, we can say Job, or we can even say me. Because Job is saying, I'm hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. And this means that Job, like Paul, is not without hope. In Job chapter 23, the previous chapter, we saw how Job knows that God is in control. He knows that he himself, Job, is innocent and he knows that he will eventually be vindicated. And again in Job 23 verse 10, this is what he says, but he knows, and here he's speaking about God. God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, Job has hope, a hope that prompts him to take time to consider what he really knows. And these things will help him rest in that hope that he has. Here in chapter 24, Job will assess the things that his friends have been saying. They've said many things. Many things that they've said are true. But those things do not apply to Job's circumstances, so they have been of no help to him. They've also said things that are not true, such as, while on earth the wicked are always punished, therefore Job's suffering must be proof of his wickedness. I want us to start this morning with a verse from Romans 15. That's a passage that I quoted last week. I just want to read to you verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they prove, we might have hope. Just think for a moment, you know, being made in God's image means that we have the capacity to learn and to understand. And God's written word, the Bible, is here to teach us. That's why we're gathered around it, gathered around it now. Also, by being made in God's image, we have feelings. Feelings derived from our circumstances. In other words, we are emotional beings. And the Lord wants us to know that he is with us in all our circumstances, as he is with Job even when we, like Job, don't see it. So Job's endurance can teach us about the hope that 
he has in the Lord. Even when he can't understand his circumstances or, or feel the Lord's presence. But his faith assures him that the Lord is there and that the Lord knows. And whatever the outcome, Job knows that God is in control. The book of Job is here to be an encouragement to us. It may be in our times of trouble, spurring us on to look to that same hope that Job is looking to. The hope that we, like him, have in the Lord. I was thinking about hymns, and you know, one of the hymns that we sang on Sunday was a hymn written in 1882 by a man called George Matheson. Now, he was born in Glasgow, and that was in um, 1842. And George Matheson lost his sight during his youthful years. He became blind. And in this hymn that I'm thinking about, he speaks of the love that God has for him. He speaks of how he can find rest in that love. Let me just read the words to you as we think about this hymn. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. You see, the writer here is seeing the light of the Lord the brightness that comes into his darkness. And he goes on, O light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee, my heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. He's going to speak about the joy of knowing God's love through his hard times. And he says, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. And he sings about the sure hope that he has, the hope of eternal life, as he recalls in the verse of this hymn how Jesus suffered and died for him. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee, I lay in dust life's glory dead, And from the ground there blossoms red, Life that shall endless be. You know, in that hymn we have bright words full of light, Written by a blind man, A man who had no physical sight, but who had great spiritual insight, a man whose hope in life, through life, and on into eternal life, was in his Lord. Now with these thoughts in mind, let's go into chapter 24 of Job, and part of our encouragement here in the book of Job is the fact that Job doesn't have all the answers, and in fact when we come to the end of the Book, Job still doesn't have all the answers, but he has faith and he has hope.
So verse 1 and 2 in chapter 4. He asks another question. Why doesn't God always do things the way we want him to? Verse 1. Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? You see, Job knows that there is wickedness in the world. He knows that God will punish the wicked. But he's asking, why don't we see it? And Job is presenting a truth that the wicked will be punished, but from what we see, it appears that they are getting away scot-free. And Job is going to back up this reality of life with a long list of examples that his three friends cannot deny. So we go through into chapter 2, we're going through to chapter 4 as well. And in these few verses, we see Job telling us of crime, crimes against vulnerable people. There are those who move boundary stones. They pasture flocks they have stolen. They drive away the orphan's donkey and take away the widow's ox in a pledge. They trust the needy. They thrust the needy from the path and force all the poor of the land into hiding. All this is morally wrong. It's wrong to do these things. But society was allowing it to happen and the powerful were just taking what they wanted and they were doing it at the expense of the poor. You know, things don't really change, do they? We see that sort of thing today. They were moving boundary stones. This was never a right thing to do. And it would later be built into the law that was given to Moses when God confirms that this was wrong. In Deuteronomy 19, verse 14, he said this, Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you received in the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And Job goes on, and in a little passage, verse 5 through to 8, we see the sufferings of people who are forced to make a meagre living. This is how Job poetically describes it, like wild donkeys in the desert. The poor go about their labour of foraging food. The wasteland provides food for their children. They gather fodder, fodder in the fields and glean the vineyards of the wicked. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold. They are drenched by mountain rains and they hug the rocks for lack of shelter. You know, you like me, probably familiar with the pictures that we see on television of children foraging on rubbish heaps in order to eke out a living. We hear of the heartless exploitation of loan sharks and the trouble and devastation that brings to the lives of people. You know, again in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10 through to 13, God addresses these things as he gives the law to the people. These are things they already know, but God is putting it down in order for them to be able to come to it and remind themselves of it. He says, when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour, 
Do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as righteous a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. What God is saying there is if you... It's like if somebody came to the pawn shop and put their coat in and the pawn shopkeeper gives them money. Then if that happens... What God is saying here, look, if that man has no coat to keep him warm of a night, you go and give it back to him just so that he can stay warm during the evening and then in the morning you can have it back. You know, Job gives a whole list of things here and when we come through to verse 9 through to 12 and, and we can see this in our day. He's speaking here about human trafficking and, and child labour. Verse 9 through to 12, the fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infants of the poor is seized for a debt. Lacking clothes, they go about naked. They carry the sheaves, but still go hungry. They crush olives among the terraces. They tread the wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. You know, the irony, irony of, of this is they're harvesting corn while they're starving. They're treading grapes while they're suffering from thirst. Again, God refers to these things in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verse 14 through to 15, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. But Job doesn't stop there. He's just going through a whole list of things that are wrong, things that we see every day, and we see the people who are prospering from these things, many of them don't seem to be coming under God's judgment. So Job 13 through to 17. There are those who rebel against the light who do not know its way or stay in its paths. When daylight is gone, the murderer rises up, kills the poor and needy, and in the night steals forth like a thief. The eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks, no eye will see me, and he keeps his faith conce face concealed. In the dark, thieves break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They want nothing to do with the light. For all of them, midnight is their morning. They make friends with the terrors of darkness. You know, Job is a, a very early book. It was written um, before the nation of Israel was established. 
These things were happening before the law and the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. But remember, we are made in God's image. And his ways are in our, in our hearts and in our consciences, no matter who we are. And no matter what historical age we belong to. And you know, this is covered by Paul in Romans when he says this in chapter 2, verse 14 through to 15. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. So there we have it. Paul here is talking about the Gentiles who do not have the, the, the Jewish law that God handed down to Moses. But that law was there right from the beginning, way back in Genesis, when everyone really was a Gentile. There were no Jews, even Abraham was initially a Gentile. But the truth is, as Paul says here, the requirements of the law are written in our hearts. Our consciences also bearing witness and our thoughts sometimes accusing us and at other times even defending us. Listen to what we read in John's Gospel. John 3 verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Again in John 3 and the following verse, verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And again in John's Gospel, this time John 8 verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But you know, when you come down to Job verse 18 through to 21, Job is saying justice will be done. You might not see it, but justice will be done. And here, Job is quoting the words of his friends. You know, if we go to the ESV, the English Standard Version, um, the start of verse 18 is this. You say... So when Job speaks here between verse 18 and 21, he's speaking to his friends and he's saying, look, this is what you've been saying. Listen to me. And speaking here about the evil. This is what you're saying about the evil. About the wicked. They are foam on the surface of the water. Their portion of the land is cursed. So that no one goes to the vineyards. As heat and drought snatch away the melted snow. So the grave snatches away those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm feasts on them. The wicked are no longer remembered. But are broken like a tree. They prey on the barren and childless women, and to the widow they show no kindness. Now what you'll be saying is saying, look, you have said all these things, but you say that the wicked are always punished by God during their lifetimes, but this isn't true. And this is what Job is trying to get over to them. 
to move them away from their initial assumptions. You see, in verse 22 to 25, Job's conclusion starts with the word, but, but. So he's reminded them of what they've said. He says, but God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. This is speaking about eternal life. Then he goes on, verse 23. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. And verse 24. For a little while they are exalted, and then they're gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like ears of corn. See, what you'll be saying, many people appear to prosper from their ill-gotten gains and their criminal activities. But these things are not hidden from God. In some cases, God, for purposes known only to him, allows this to happen. And apparently, in the eyes of the onlooker, they escape God's judgment. But judgment will come. And it will come in God's time. We have confirmation of Job's conclusion here in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 13, verse 29 to 30. No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat, and then let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. You see, what Matthew is saying and what Job is saying is that when we view the world, we see those who have accepted God and who obey God. And for us, those who have taken Jesus as their saviour are growing up on this earth along with those who have rejected God. And sometimes it appears that they are getting away with what they are doing scot-free. But they don't. Because God is watching. And God's will is that there will be a time when both those who are his and those who rebel against him will be gathered together the wheat and the tears. Job 25. Job is now saying, if this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? Job is saying to his friends, you know from what I have said that God does allow these wicked people to prosper. Those who have turned their backs on him refuse to accept him. And in some cases, they appear to live a carefree life and they appear to die peacefully. But the reality for them is that when judgment day comes, for them there is no hope. So, if this is true, Job's saying, why can't you accept that for whatever purpose God can, and in my case is allowing a righteous man to suffer? But when judgment comes, that man, and Job, whose hope is in the Lord, will be vindicated. Job's hope is in the one 
who is the righteous judge of all. Just as we finish, here is God's verdict on the wicked. Just from one verse, from Romans 5, at Romans 2, and it's verse 5. This is what God says. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, that's a challenge for us. If we've not accepted Jesus as our saviour, because of our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart, then these things are stored up against us and we will be judged and condemned. But if we accept Jesus as our saviour, then we, on that day, will be accepted into his family as his children. You know, there's a lot there in this passage. There's a lot for us to think about. So let's just pray as we finish. Our Father, we, we come to you with very inadequate understanding. But our Father, we know that by the power of your Holy Spirit, from what we've looked at this evening, you can take those elements that apply to us, that you can burn them into our hearts, that we might be challenged, that we might be encouraged, and that we might be lifted up above whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And our Father, we do this by faith and in the hope that we have in the one who has gone before us and suffered more than any of us will ever be called to suffer. And in his name, in the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.